What do you do with default settings? Whether it be on your computer, new computer, television, radios in your car, if you still listen to the radio in your car. If you're like me, the first thing you do with default settings is you change them. I get a new computer, I change my default settings, for example, on the internet, and I set up my Outlook and my, my Bible software so that when I turn my computer on each and every day, I can get to where I'm going pretty quickly and, and, and get busy on my work day. And for those of you who know something about default settings, you know they, they if they're never changed, they continue to respond the same way to certain commands until a change occurs or if you have a, a virus, then you got another problem on your hand, right? Did you know that we all have default settings within us? We are, we are hardwired to respond in a particular way to certain people in certain situations. We, we have certain default settings that affect our interaction with our parents, with our kids, with our siblings, with our spouse, with our friends, with our coworkers. And at certain times, because we live in a fallen world and because we are a fallen people, these default settings in us can result in us responding in ways that is destructive to those relationships. We experience this, we witness this all the time. A husband will, will say something or do something that will set his wife off or the other way around. And as a result, they will not respond in a way that honors God and their relationship suffers as a result. Maybe it's at work. Maybe there's that, that certain coworker you don't get along with and they just continue in a pattern that sets you off and you find your way, uh, you find yourself just responding to them again and again in a way that does not honor God. Because of the way you're hardwired, because of these default settings, because of your sin condition, that's the more spiritual term, right? You're caught in this cycle that you can't break. Can anyone relate? Do I need to even ask for a show of hands? Anyone in this cycle of behavior in their interactions with certain people that just continually repeat itself? You don't want to respond to certain people in, in that way, but they continue doing what they do, so you continue doing what you do. It's like those default settings on your computer. Unless something changes, your response will continue to be the same. But you don't know how to change that default setting within you. You need a reset, but you don't know how. You need a change, but you're clueless with where to go and what to do. If this is you, I'm happy to tell you that in our passage for today, we learn that Jesus is concerned with our default settings that, that cause us to respond in sinful ways to sinful people in difficult circumstances. And I'm also happy to tell you that he is able to reset those default settings of ours. Now, there are some of you upon hearing that that you think, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't need a reset. I don't need a reset. I, I get along with, with my loved ones as I should. I just don't 
really care for those, those people I have difficulty with. So I'm just going to keep my distance from them or I'm going to keep lashing back out at them. If they lash out at me, I'm not going to take it. I'm good. I'm doing okay loving my wife or, or husband, my friends, as I should. If this is you, listen. Jesus, when addressing his disciples and how they are to love and interact with others in his great Sermon on the Mount, he kicks it up a notch with them by going directly to these types of relationships. He addresses how we are to love those who do not love us or don't do it well. Jesus is interested in us doing that well as his followers. He tells his own. He tells us, believers, that we as his people are to be loving those who do not love us, those who harm and hate us, our enemies. That's radical, right? Countercultural, like we've said multiple times about this sermon of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. Continuing our sermon through Luke, and we're at a very familiar part of the gospel. We're looking at, at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Plain, as we called it in Luke, because he's at a flat, elevated area. Jesus is ministering in Galilee, and a crowd is gathered, both from the northern and southern parts of Israel and beyond. We said that the crowd was made up of three groups of people. There are the 12 that are there. There are also a larger number of disciples who have been sitting under Jesus' teaching for some time. And there's even a larger number of people who have heard about this miracle-working teacher and who have traveled a long way to hear from him and possibly witness a miracle and, and even be healed by him. We, we said in the first part of this, this sermon on the Beatitudes, Jesus is addressing committed followers, those who will be committed followers, and those who don't know him and will even reject him. That's why the first part of the sermon is divided up between the blessings and the curses. First, in the first three verses, we have blessed, blessed, blessed. And then in the latter three, we have woe to you, woe to you, woe to you to those who do not follow him. But notice here in verse 27, Jesus shifts his focus. He says at the beginning of Luke 6, 27, but I say to you who hear, he's speaking to his committed followers now those with ears to hear and eyes to see. It's so very important that we make that distinction because, listen, what Jesus calls for next is not possible for one who's not a Christ follower. Jesus is going to call for his devoted followers to love in a way that is completely foreign to the unbelieving world. Again, as we said, Jesus' sermon is counter to culture. People view this sermon from the outside looking in as inside out and upside down. Three things I want you to notice about Jesus' message here when it comes to the love that his disciples are to have for others. Jesus is first going to tell them who to love. Then he's going to tell them the way to love, who they're called to love. And then lastly, he's going to tell them how to love who they are called to love. First notice who his disciples are to love. 
Jesus tells them very clearly, his disciples are to love their enemies. That's point number one. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Now, my guess is when they heard Jesus begin this, they thought he was going to end with neighbor. Love your neighbor, right? They had heard that before. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, love your enemies. Jesus is, is telling those with ears to hear his true devoted disciples that they are to be loving those who do not love them, merciful to those who are not merciful to them, kind to those who are mean. That is radical, a, a radical command that separates God's people from the rest of the world. When, when people in our world today talk about loving one another and, and what that looks like, they often use it in this way. When you ask, why do you love him or her? They'll say, oh, I love them because, because they, they, they love me even when I mess up. Oh, I, I love her so much because she's so supportive of me in, in my career. I, I, love, I love her. I love him because he or she is such a loyal friend. I love him because he always listens to me. Conditional, conditional, conditional. Jesus addresses that kind of love. Skip down to verse 32. Look at it. Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Now, Jesus expects his disciples to love those who love them. And, and do good to those who do good to them and lend to those who give back. But he says, the kind of love that my disciples are to have is to go above and beyond that. My disciples are to even love their enemies. And he says it not once, but twice. Now, when he says something twice, we really need to perk up. That's not by accident. He's not just doing it to hear himself speak. He says it in verse 27 and verse 35. Now, when we hear this and read this passage, we immediately begin to think about exceptions, don't we? We, we begin to think, well, that, that doesn't apply here. Certainly not here. What about here? Certainly that doesn't apply in this situation. Exception, 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 right? We love exceptions. And we love to be the exception, don't we? But listen, while there are exceptions oftentimes, that doesn't apply. To our situation. Yes, Jesus did speak in extremes to make significant points. He didn't call for his disciples to literally hate their father and mother, right? But he meant that their love and devotion to him was to be so great that the strongest of relationships paled in comparison. That's true, but listen, don't let those exceptions keep you from seeing the radical teaching of Jesus here. Jesus is calling for something very, very extreme. He is calling for our default settings and our relationships to be reset, to be changed, so that we are dealing with those who are unloving and unkind toward us, those who seek our harm in a gracious and loving way. Now let's be honest about a few things here. Many of us, if we're being honest, 
We have to say our natural tendency is to do the opposite of that, isn't it? We want to hurt those who hurt us oftentimes. We often hate those who hate us. Jesus says, I want you to love them. And notice, he doesn't keep it in the cryptic and obscure realm. He gets very concrete with, with what he's saying by explaining point number two, the way we are to love our enemies. Jesus says his disciples are to do good, point number two, bless and pray for their enemies, responding with both gentleness and generosity. Look at verse 27 again. Jesus says, But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, verse 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Skip on down to verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. How are we to love our enemies? We're to do good to them even though they hate us. We're to bless them when they curse us, pray for them when they abuse us. Easier said than done, right? But notice here, all of these words are actions. This love here is the agape love that's being called for. It's a, a love of the will. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling, but a choosing love. It's not a love that says, I'll love you if I feel like it, or I'll love you if you do this. It's a love that says, I will love you even if you do not. We have wonderful examples of this in Scripture. Stephen comes to mind. For me remember Stephen we talked about him last week we studied about his life and ministry when I preached through the book of of Acts Stephen had enemies the Jewish religious leaders in the first century hated Stephen they cursed him they they abused him they came up against him and he faithfully shared God's gospel with them he lovingly shared the truth of their sinfulness and their need for rescue yet they drug his name through the mud with the other Jews and and they 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 called him an enemy of Moses an enemy of God, an enemy of the law, an enemy of the temple, the four pillars of Judaism, and they also stoned and killed him and were told that as the lights were going out on Stephen's life, he did not hate them, he did not curse them, but he prayed for them. He brought them before God's throne of grace, and we learn that, that God answered Stephen's prayer. He prayed for the salvation of his persecutors, and we learn of one in the crowd who became a Christ follower. Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus became Paul the apostle. I believe that's an answer to Stephen's prayer. Wonderful story. Jesus did the same. As he was laying his life down, he prayed for his persecutors. And we know the centurion responds Favorably, We know what takes place on Pentecost when thousands are saved. But listen, sometimes our, our enemies do not turn into brothers. Even though we love them in this way, they do not. But God's people are to respond in the same way anyway. They are to love and serve their enemies. Bless them. That means speak well of them before God. Bring them before God's throne of grace. Pray for them. Long for them to repent and believe on Christ. 
Notice what else? God's disciples are also called to be merciful toward their enemies when they harm them or take from them. Look at verses 29 and 30, and then we'll skip down to verses 34 and 35. 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Down to verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Wow, that is radical, isn't it? Jesus is saying here, in addition to doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who abuse you, you are to respond to aggression with gentleness and to be generous toward those who are selfish. Do not respond with hate and malice when one harms you and do not value material things, he says, more than people. He's not saying we're to overlook physical abuse and discard theft. That's not what he's calling for, but he is calling for his disciples to hold loosely to their possessions and their positions in this life to keep anger in check and to have a proper perspective on the material and value human relationships above all that. Now let's just break for just a moment and let's ask this question again. How on earth can we do this? How can we possibly do this? Well, that leads us right into our third and final point. Jesus explains first who his disciples are to love. He says they're to love their enemies. Second, He explains the way his disciples are to love. He says his disciples are to do good, bless and pray for their enemies, responding with both gentleness and generosity. Now, how can they do this? How can his disciples love in this way? Point number three, his disciples are to consider how they want to be treated and how God has and will continue to treat them. Look at verse 31, and then we're going to skip down to verses 35 through 36. Verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's the practical. Here's the spiritual. Down in 35, end of 35 to 36. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Notice these motivations are directed outward and upward. You see that? Jesus calls for his disciples to first consider how they would want to be treated. This is commonly known as the golden rule, right? We learned it in school. Many religions teach the negative of this statement. Confucius said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Jesus speaks of it in the positive, very practical appeal, and is a way for his disciples to even sympathize with their enemies. Have you ever noticed that we are a lot easier on ourselves than we are on others? You ever notice that? Let's be honest. Let's say you're driving and you cut someone off. You don't normally get mad at yourself and honk your own horn, do you? Somebody else does. And you're like, man, I didn't even see you, right? But if somebody does it to you, 
Well, you want a state trooper to see them and pull them over and give them a $400 ticket, right? That's the difference. It's true. If we, if we wrong other people, they get upset. We, we desperately want mercy, grace, forgiveness from that person. We want it a whole lot more than we want to give it. Is that true? Can we be truthful in here? So Jesus wisely calls for us to place ourselves in the shoes of another and treat them as we would want to be treated. So that's the practical appeal. Notice the spiritual appeal. Look at verses 35 and 36 again. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So when, when considering the question of how do we do what Christ calls for us to do here, how do we love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who hurt us, pray for those who abuse us, First, the answer is simply, we cannot apart from God's grace. We can't do it. Many, many have wrongly viewed these verses as being salvific, believing if I do these things, if I love my enemies in that way, then, then I'll earn a place at the table. That'll lead to my salvation. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Obeying these rules is not the way to salvation, but by obeying these rules, it's proof that we have been saved. Does that make sense? It's the fruit of our salvation, not, not the root. We, through the inward work of the Spirit, are able to live and to love in this way. Jesus appeals to this when instructing his disciples on how to live. Watch this, this is key. He reminds his disciples that while they are, they are called to, to love those who do not love them and bless and pray and serve them even when they receive nothing in return from them, he reminds them of the fact that they have been blessed by God and will be blessed by him for all eternity. That's their motivation, how God has treated them in saving them and that's to be our motivation as well he's not saying the he's not saying here do this so you'll be blessed he's saying do this because you have been blessed believers and because you will be blessed think about how relationships normally work we we love either because we've been loved by the one we're loving or we love in hopes that that will produce a loving response back from that person here Jesus is calling for his disciples to love those who may not love them back. How do we do that? How do we love when someone's not going to give love back to us that we're giving to them? Watch this. By knowing that God has given you and will give you all you need in his relationship with you. And that's sufficient. Jesus says... God's unchanging love towards you allows for you to give to your enemies even when there is no hope of reciprocation from them, no hope of a person changing their heart and attitude toward you. Our focus is to be upward so that we can properly love outward in this way. Stephen Lawson said it in this way. Look at this quote. It is one thing to love God 
who is perfectly holy and absolutely righteous. But it is something else entirely to love others who are far less than perfect. It is even more challenging to love one's enemies. This is the great test of the Christian life, loving the unlovable, but such is the love of God which we are called to emulate. Next point, next uh, quote here, Ligon Duncan says this when commenting on this verse. The way that you're able to love the unloving is not because you hope they will change and one day will be able to be loving back to you and give back to you what you have given to them, but because God in Jesus Christ through the gospel has already given you a gift of grace that you did not deserve, that is enough to fill your soul with joy and gratitude so that you are able to love those who will not give back to you. That's our motivation, believers. Jesus says, believers love in this way, for your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. Notice, Jesus appeals to the mercy his Father shows as an example of what our motivation is to be in loving others. He says, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Remember that God loved you while you were his enemy. Remember that he was kind to you when you were ungrateful and evil. He gave you mercy, he extended grace to you by sending his Son to accomplish your salvation and by saving you, therefore do likewise to others. Be kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be loving to the unlovable. Be merciful to the guilty and be gracious to the undeserving. Jesus gives his disciples and us, his greater Christian audience, a very simple, practical principle here. He says, get this, the guilty who have been shown mercy show mercy to the guilty. The undeserving who become recipients of God's amazing grace extend amazing grace to the undeserving. That's how it works. We'll learn as we continue to read this story that Christ did more than just teach these principles to his disciples on how to love in this way. He demonstrated this for us. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of God, set apart from him, set against him in sin. God created us to live in relationship with him, bring glory to him with our lives. We turned away from him. And while we were in that sinful state, while we were his enemies, God loved us. He sent Christ to us. Christ came willingly out of a love for us and he lived for us and died for us and he rose again so that we through faith alone in him alone could be forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship with the living God through him. We were God's enemies and God made us sons and daughters. Wow. That's the gospel. Can't say it better than this right here. Thabiti Anyabwile says this. For whom did Jesus die? For whom did he suffer? The Lord was crucified at the hands of his enemies. 
The people who put him to death were the people he came to save. They mocked and abused him. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. They whipped and beat him. Jesus never said a mumbling word but gave his body to be broken for them and for us. They took his tunic and his robe. He willingly allowed it. He did not demand his rights, repayment, or even an apology. The Son of God gave his life for sinners so that even though we were enemies of God, we might be made sons of God through him in faith. When we were his enemies, Christ loved us. By so loving us, the Lord enables us to love him and love our enemies. We love God because he first loved us. Never underestimate the redemptive power of love. Do you love the Lord? Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation? If so, believers, look to him, rely upon him to help you love others as he has loved you. If not, you cannot, apart from the grace of God. Good news is that grace is offered to you. Christ has made a way for us to be brought back to a right relationship with God if you would turn from your sin, forsake that sin, foresee yourself as an enemy set against God, turn from that sin, turn from being at odds with God and turn toward his son Jesus. Place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation and you will be saved. Let's pray together.